0: Oral questions by members?
1: Member from the Chaco Lakes. Mr. Speaker, once again, there are hard-working families from the forest-dependent communities here in the gallery. And tragically, they've been telling us of people being laid off, companies about to close, and families being devastated. The Forest Minister's message of don't worry, be happy is not going over well with these families. The government admits their politically motivated policies will cost thousands of jobs. Thousands of jobs. and Yet the minister will not release the details to these families if their jobs will be lost. And now we have a doubling of the unjust and punitive duties which will most assuredly cost more jobs in this province. Will the minister confirm how many jobs will be lost due to this double whammy? Minister of Forests.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the member for the question. I too want to acknowledge the guests who are in the the gallery today, and I I do want to say that um, we are moving ahead with revitalising the forest industry. We are doing it in a way that not only is going to protect old growth in this province, which is something that we've all agreed on. I think every person in this house agreed with the the. Uh, Old Growth Strategic Review that was tabled in this legislature um, last year. I think everybody agreed, with, as the majority of the province agree, that we need to do something and we need to ensure that we are protecting those rare and iconic trees from irreversible loss. We have also committed to working with Indigenous nations, another part of our visions for forestry, and we are committed to doing that. And we are committed to working with communities, with workers, with industry, to bring our forest industry into the 21st century. We will have supports in place for workers. We will have supports in place for families. We will have supports in place for communities. We know what it's like. I lived through the times when the former member was in the government and there were thousands and thousands of jobs lost without supports in place. I know what it's like to live in a forest-dependent community. I know what it's like to be a fourth generation family where four generations have worked in the forest industry. I get it. I understand the grief. I understand the concerns. We will be there for people.
1: Member from the Chaco Lakes, Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, Quite frankly, refusing to provide the basic information provides no comfort to these families. These hard-working men and women in one of the foundational industries of this province deserve better. First, we've seen this politically motivated policy with no analysis about the cost to jobs across this province. And as the USW Local 1 1937 President Brian Butler says, and I quote, quite frankly, they've sold out forest workers, end quote and now having access to the largest market denied by Americans, which we know is going to cost British Columbians jobs. And this government has done nothing. To the minister, how many jobs? Where is the analysis? Or do you just prefer to leave these families with a bleak Christmas? Minister.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And what I prefer to do is not to fearmonger I prefer oh, no. to. Inter- <laughs> <laughs> I think. Continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, we have been clear that when we talked about the deferrals, we are looking at two point six million hectares um, that potentially could be deferred. We are talking about potential job losses. If every area was to be deferred in the new year, we would expect about 4,500 jobs to be lost. We have been very clear about that. That is a potential for job loss. It's not 18,000. It's not hundreds of thousands. It's not. It is 4,500 jobs could potentially be lost. And Members, we will.
3: Minister will continue.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We have been very clear with that, and we will have supports in place. We have also been very clear with that. We will have supports in place for workers, we will have supports in place for communities, for industry, and we have had industry reaching out to us. We have had industry who have said to us that we understand the direction that you're moving in. We understand your vision. We agree it is time to bring the forest industry into the 21st century something that should have been This is something that should have been done years ago and it hasn't been done. Thank
4: you. Member for Epsom West. Thanks honorable chair. Well if the minister thinks that the people in the gallery today take any comfort whatsoever from her throwing out figures and trying to minimize uh, the impact of her government's policies in the absence of providing any documentation or analysis whatsoever. I've got news for her. They don't take any comfort from that. They will leave here justifiably concerned, more concerned. She said we're fear-mongering. Well, you know, yesterday the minister wouldn't even stand up and confirm on the record that the tariffs were being doubled. She couldn't bring herself to provide that level of information. Here's something else she probably doesn't want to uh, acknowledge. Uh, Last week, an analysis from uh, the RBC, from the capital markets. Here's what they are saying about the policies that she and her government are embarking upon. Implications of British Columbia harvest deferrals. The impact is clearly negative for the BC forest industry. The ongoing forest industry exodus will only accelerate We suspect that sawmills will pull back back on local investments, given the uncertain future of forestry in B.C. The province has already moved from a low-cost producer to, by far, the highest-cost region in North America. And the unfortunate thing is that less lumber will make it more challenging to grow the value-added applications, such as mass timber, given that lumber costs will be far higher than other regions. Now, are they fear-mongering as well? That's an analysis that says this minister and this government's policies are putting those people out of work. How many more forest-dependent families are going to lose their jobs because of the policies being advanced by this minister and this government?
3: Minister of Forests.
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We know that um, our forests have a special place for people in British Columbia but we also know that we need to manage our forests differently. We need to ensure that we have a forest industry for generations to come but also have a forest industry for people today. We need to ensure that we are protecting our forests. Those that are at risk of irreversible loss, we have to ensure we're protecting them. We have to ensure we have supports in place and we are doing all of that we are going to do it and we are going to continue to do it and i can only i mean i can continue to say it but we are also acting on it we are also working with indigenous nations we are working with industry we are working with workers we are going to reaching out to communities we are doing that work to ensure that there are minimal effects because we know what it is like. We know what it is like to lose jobs and not have any support. We know what it is like to lose jobs and not have a transition to retirement, not to have any support, to get some training so that you could learn something else. We know what that is like. Mr. Speaker, we will have those supports in place, and I, I will say it today, and I will say it again. We will have supports in place.
3: Member for, for west Supplemental.
4: Uh, thanks, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, well, i got news for the minister, if she doesn't get this. The people here today, they don't want a bridge to, to retirement. They want to work in the forest sector. <laughs> And all the minister can say is you're fear-mongering. Well, here's, here's the good news. One of the flagship forestry companies in British Columbia yesterday announced a half-billion-dollar investment. It's great news. Except they made the investment in Ontario and Quebec, Mr. Speaker. They didn't invest in BC. They made the investment there. And, and listen to the numbers. Oh, the members got lots of things to say. You should go out and talk to these people uh, after the session. Minister, members, one of British Columbia's flagship forest companies. In response to the policies introduced and advanced by this government, the absence of a softwood lumber agreement, Interforest production will be as follows. 62 percent of the lumber they now produce will be from their U.S. operations. 20% will be from Eastern Canada, and 18% will be from British Columbia. That's one of our flagship forest companies. Surely the minister isn't proud of those numbers, and that trend is going to continue. The people here in the gallery today want to know the details. They want to know how many of their jobs this government, this minister, are prepared to sacrifice on the altar of misguided policies.
3: Minister of Forests.
2: Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I'm glad the member referred to misguided policies because that was the misguided policies under their government that led Interfor to do the investments across the line. did a number of other companies. I have talked to Interfor. I understand they have been working on this transition for some years now. Uh it is did not just happen. It did not just happen because of our force policies. They were very clear of that. And 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 they are continuing to invest in BC. They are continuing to upgrade their plants. They are committed to British Columbia. They are committed to their workers. So the member has his information wrong. He should get his facts straight.
3: Order. Members.
2: We hear every day Members will come to order. Minister Speaker, I'm talking to companies, I'm talking to industry. They are continuing to want to invest in BC. They are committed to BC and they are committed to workers. We are working together to bring the forest industry into the 21st century, something that government should have started years ago.
3: Leader of the Third Party.
5: Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Earlier this week, the second quarterly report of the province's finances was released. It showed a deficit that wasn't as big as expected and a growing inflation rate. The report also showed that so far this year, BC has brought in $1.8 billion from the property transfer tax. That means that each time a house is purchased in BC, a slice of that profits the provincial government. And $1.8 billion is a lot of money. In fact, it's more than what has been raised in actual property taxes, which amounts to $1.5 billion. B.C. is in a housing crisis, and a large part of that is due to the fact that we treat housing as a commodity, an investment. Housing is a way to make money, not a way to shelter families and communities. Housing prices for all types have increased by 17.1 per cent this year. So A home that would have sold for $800,000 last year would now go for $936,000, and by taking a cut of that growth in the property transfer tax, the government is profiting from the housing crisis. Is profiting a lot. Through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Finance, the provincial coffers are expected to profit to the tune of $3 billion from the property transfer tax this year, but such a large reliance on a single revenue stream is, to quote the Minister herself, a risk. What is the Minister doing to diversify Provincial revenues?
3: attorney Attorney-General and Minister of Housing.
6: Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member uh, for the question. I think housing is uh, one of the most important issues facing our province. Um, Our government has taken a number of steps to address speculation in the housing market we put in place the Speculation Tax, uh, which was an innovative and a brand new tax, actually under former Finance Minister uh, Carol James, uh, who's in the House here today. Uh, A a remarkable uh, and critical tax to say housing is not an investment, housing is for people to live in. I noticed the members on the other side oppose that tax, continue to oppose it in their leadership debates. I hope they don't sit on this side to bring speculation back in in the same way we supported interventions to uh, to force the other government when they were in power to limit uh, foreign t- foreign investment in our housing market we'll continue those measures it is a risk to be dependent on this I know the member's not suggesting we get rid of that tax but we're trying really hard to shift housing into a situation where the supply that we have in the province meets the demand we had about 50,000 new British Columbians move to this province because the opportunities that are here. We need the housing to support them. That's why we're working with municipalities, the Minister for Municipal Affairs. That's why BC Housing has $2 billion going to workforce housing from this government as we build the housing. Leader of the
3: third party, Supplemental.
5: Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the Attorney General, minister For Housing, for that response, however, What I'm asking about is diversifying provincial revenues. While the province makes billions of dollars, one in three renters are worried about making next month's rent. BC has the highest rent in the country. Homelessness is on the rise. It takes the average British Columbian 35 years to save for a down payment. Racial inequality is being exacerbated. We're in a housing crisis and this government is profiting from it with zeal. It looks like a conflict of interest to have a government making billions off a crisis they're supposed to be addressing. Our over-reliance on the revenue generated from the unsustainable housing market makes us vulnerable, especially as we use it to fund recovery from severe weather events that we're facing all year. Through you, Honourable Speaker, again, to the Minister of Finance, we need to have the confidence that this government is taking seriously the responsibility to diversify BC's economy. What is the minister doing to diversify profi- provincial revenue streams?
6: Attorney General. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. We are in the midst of the largest in-migration to British Columbia in 30 years. The Minister of Jobs just advised me. 30 years. The member wants to talk about uh, diversifying the economy. What better evidence of how we're building an economy that works for everybody than than people voting with their feet and coming to British Columbia? And we we need to have the housing ready for them. We need municipalities to be building the supply that's there. BC Housing's partnering with them. The Minister for Municipal Affairs is working with them to expedite approvals processes, and it is working. The member is suggesting that we're not acting on this. I don't understand it. Uh, as of, uh, of April 2017, the previous government had uh, about 2,000 units of uh, affordable housing under construction or in development. As of February 2021, 19,108 units uh, our government has. we have rental housing under construction at record levels as we have for the past 3 years in the province since the introduction of speculation tax 18000 previously vacant homes back on the market as rental homes we're doing the work honorable speaker but there's a lot more to do
4: member for Kamloops south thompson uh, thank you uh, mr speaker Uh, Well, uh, documents obtained uh, under FOI reveal that the Minister of Citizen uh, Services undertook a complete sham of a consultation uh, into hiding information from the public. Uh, On March 31, 2021, uh, the Minister received Cabinet approval to gut Freedom of Information. Her caucus briefing notes confirm that every key element was decided before consulting with the Privacy Commissioner, before consulting with the public, and before consulting with the Indigenous Peoples. So my question to the Minister of Citizen Services is this. Why did the Minister decide that she would gut FOI before consulting with Indigenous Peoples, public and other key stakeholders?
3: Minister of Citizen Services.
7: Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I want to thank the member for the question. So, uh, The the Freedom of Information and Privacy of Protection Act has not been updated since 2011. The legislation is outdated, and it's not serving the needs of British Columbians. We've been contemplating changes to uh, the uh, FOIPA Act since 2017. There's been consultation ongoing since then, 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021. We've been listening to people. It is our role as government to listen to what's going on in people's lives. We've been hearing from businesses, from public bodies, from universities, from health authorities, from the tech sector, that the current legislation is out of date, and that it wasn't serving the needs. It's not allowing them to be competitive, and it's not allowing them to provide the services.
3: Minister, continue.
7: Thank you. And it's not allowing them to provide the services that people have come to count on during COVID-19. We had to implement a ministerial order so that people were able to FaceTime with their doctors or so that we could use Google Classrooms. It's these types of important services that are embedded in the amendments in our legislation we have before us today that will allow us to continue serving British Columbians, uh, allow them to keep accessing the services that they have come to expect that they rely on. Thank you.
3: Member for West Vancouver, Capilano.
0: Uh, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Through FOI, the NDP's own decision note has revealed what many have suspected about their secret agenda for childcare. Bigger government, more bureaucracy—
3: Members, let's listen to the question, please. Members, order.
0: Bigger Member. government, more bureaucracy and bad results for families. Oh. Roemoiselle April Kennedy is a landed immigrant who has invested her family's life savings into children childcare centres that serve over 250 <coughs> parents in Surrey. And she says, these are her words, quote, 90% of my 60 women workforce are members of a visible minority. The NDP is not only risking my livelihood, but that of all these minority women. I plan to open new spaces for over 400 families, but today I have to cancel these plans. Surrey needs these spaces, and it is shameful that families will be hurt by these unjustified changes, end quote. So, Mr. Speaker, will the minister explain why she is threatening the childcare spaces of these 250 families and tens of thousands of families across BC?
3: Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you very much. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
8: Honorable Speaker, for years, the members opposite neglected childcare. They left families to fend for themselves. Yeah. Honourable speaker, Families in my community have a long commute to work, but because there were so few childcare spaces, they had to commute for childcare and then commute for work. That's bad for the economy, it's bad for the environment, and it's bad for quality family life. Honourable Speaker, since 2018 nearly 26,000 new licensed child care spaces have been funded. Oh,
3: that is the yes, sir, take a seat. Shall we continue?
8: Minister will continue. Thank you, honourable Speaker. That is the fastest childcare space creation in BC's history. We have funded more than double the number of spaces that the opposition funded in 16 years. Honourable Speaker, I have families coming to me in tears because they are now able to access childcare. That means they have better quality of life and they are able to go to work. And so we will continue investing in child. Leader
3: of the Official Opposition.
9: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, we began this session asking about how 600 frail elderly British Columbians died in a heat dome. Through an FOI, we discovered the NDP had been warned about the dangers. We've asked about the delays and frustrations the residents of Lytton are feeling as they try to rebuild their lives after a devastating fire. And we hoped that the government would have learned lessons from these tragedies, but then the floods hit and it was clear that many of the same mistakes were being made again. British Columbians expect us to work together at times like this. And that is exactly what both opposition parties asked to do. We can do better, and we must. So will this government commit today to an all-party committee to review and improve British Columbia's emergency response?
3: Minister of Public Safety.
10: Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the, uh, the question uh, from the member, and there is absolutely no doubt that the past um, 20 months have been more challenging than just about at any other period in the province's history. But if there's one thing that we have seen during that time is British Columbians coming together to, uh, to get through these challenges, whether it is communities pulling together, whether it is emergency services pulling together, whether it is all of us getting through pandemics, getting through floods, getting through fires, and we will continue to do that. In terms of our response and how we deal with that, we know that there are challenges ahead as we are facing uh, climate change and the reality of that and the impacts, and we've seen that in fires, we've seen that in floods. It's one of the reasons why since since 2017, uh, we started to make changes to do just that. It's why we're undergoing the largest overhaul of the Emergency uh, Protection Act Uh, in this province's history uh, since it was introduced in 1993. That work has been ongoing for more than a year and will continue to on with legislation expected in the fall of this year, or sorry, the fall of next year. Uh, The leader uh, has raised questions about alerting and we have said also in this house, there are going to be significant improvements uh, in terms of our capacity uh, online for next summer. There is additional work that will no doubt have to be done. Uh, And it may well involve the ability of all members of this House to participate uh, through committees to to work on some of those those issues. But what I can tell you, the priority of government right now is to ensure the well-being of British Columbians impacted by these disasters, to work on the recovery to get this province up and running as quickly as possible, as soon as possible, and as safely as possible.
3: Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental.
9: Well, thank you very much, and I don't think there is a single person in this House or probably in British Columbia that would disagree that British Columbians are resilient. They've come together in times of crisis that include wildfires, they include a heat dome, floods, you name it, British Columbians came together. What is astounding to me is the fact that there is such reluctance or fear to actually do things differently in this legislature. I have no idea Why? The government resists the offers of both opposition parties to step up and behave in a way that shows British Columbians we are prepared to tackle tough issues together. And let's look at why that might be even more important to members on the government side, because in the mandate letters to every single cabinet minister on that side of the House, it says, and I quote, that means seeking out, fostering and championing good ideas, regardless of their origin, end quote. Those are the words of the Premier of British Columbia. And it's not just floods, and the minister knows that. When we think about reconciliation, it is one of the most significant challenges of our time. And all of us were devastated, devastated, when we learned of the confirmation of unmarked graves, not just in Kamloops, but across our province and country. And even more devastating when we think about what we could do together In British Columbia today, an average of six people die as a result of an opioid crisis. It is a crisis that is unprecedented in our province. The leader of the third party and myself months ago said to this government, we want to work with you across party lines. How on earth could that be seen in a negative light? The Premier said that means seeking out, fostering, and championing good ideas, regardless of their origin. Look across the aisle. It's time to show British Columbians we can actually do business differently. We can be better together, and we must be. So, to the Deputy Premier, when will the government recognize the importance of sending that message to British Columbians, especially at times like this? Whether it's related to the pathway to reconciliation or to deal with the opioid crisis in British Columbia, we call on the government today, both opposition parties. We want to work across party lines on those two critical issues as well as look at emergency response. Will the government honour the Premier's words and ensure that we can work together across party lines?
10: Government house leader. Thank you, uh, Honourable, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for that question. Um, I think all of us uh, in this chamber um, want to ensure that we are doing everything we can to address the crises that we face. And there is amazing work being done right across this province by British Columbians of all political persuasions, from all walks of life. And there's amazing work being done in this House on cross-party lines on a daily basis. There is significant cooperation that takes place. And in touring disaster sites, for example, whether it has been fires or been floods, we have brought along members of the opposition. And, I, I, and I, There's a serious question the member raised and I really appreciate it. But I will, also remem- I will also remind members, particularly new members on that side of the House, there was a time when you guys sat on this side and you didn't do things like that. Uh, yes it is. Yeah. Members, and I, 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 that is not listen the, to the that, answer. And I, I only say that not to be the focus of my, my response, but to make this point, absolutely there are opportunities to, uh, for, for, for cross-party oh. cooperation members we heard you already and if, That's you had enough. A pay- and if you listened to my my answer to the first question I, you would have heard me say I think there is opportunity to do just that and I don't see any reason why we cannot do more uh, uh,
3: member for caribou North Every member will come to order. Thank Mr. You, Helm- honourable
10: continue. Thank you, honourable speaker. Because when committees are put together, they are done in the context of, in terms of reference, in terms of a project. In ter- yes, in, in, you know, honourable speaker, it's pretty clear. Uh, I'm trying to tell them that yeah, there's opportunities, but what I'm getting is sort of partisan rhetoric back, uh, which tells me that. You know what? This is, the last, this is the last day of this session. There will be opportunities for committees to be struck when we come back to the House in February, and I look forward to it.
3: The bell ends, question period.